Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 186 of Sexology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you're a new listener, welcome. I have a gift for you. A few months ago, I wrote this book on how to increase your sexual desire, and I'm offering it completely free to all of my listeners. Uh, you can find the link in the show notes on how to download the book. Today, my guest is Dr. Lindsay Harper. We're going to talk about the changes that people are experiencing during later stages of life when it comes to sex and sexuality. More importantly, we're going to focus on how to increase your libido so you can continue to have fulfilling sexual experiences regardless of what stages of life you are currently in. Dr. Lindsay Harper completed her OBGYN residency at Baylor University Medical Center and after she saw patients in her private practice for seven years. She's also an associate professor for Texas A&M College of Medicine, and she has been recognized by Forbes as one of the top women disrupting healthcare. She is also the founder and CEO of Rosie, an app for women with decreased sexual desire. Before I dive into our interview today, I wanted to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is betterhelp.com. Many of my uh, listeners are fellow therapists. If you are a psychologist, marriage family therapist, clinical social worker, or any kind of therapist, BetterHelp is the easiest way for you to get clients online. Many of our colleagues, including myself, love to do counseling, but we're just not a fan of doing the insurance paperwork or doing the billing. So with BetterHelp, you can focus 100% of your time doing what you love and they'll take care of the rest of it. They have thousands of people every day that seek counseling in their website at betterhelp.com. So if you're interested, visit betterhelp.com slash sexology and complete a brief application to get started. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash sexology. You can find the link to the URL in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Harper. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Lindsay Harper on our show today. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I am very excited to have you on the show and also about this topic. It's one of those interesting topics that come up a lot in in my at least kind of encounters with public. So I always am curious to see what people ask me when they learn I'm a, a psychologist and a sex therapist. And this is almost the number one question I get that many women, at least I hear that they are struggling after menopause with having a great sexual experiences and not necessarily even after menopause, like during later stages of life. So I'm very excited to have a physician uh, educate us about this topic. 
You know, it's actually a really common problem that comes up in practice as well. So I think the more information we can get out there about, you know, really normal changes and then and then opportunities to improve on, on situations, the better. So thanks for sure. So tell us, does menopause affect people's sex life? Oh my gosh, menopause affects people's whole life and that definitely <laughs> includes their sex life, right? So, I mean, menopause is as monumental as puberty, right? And if we if we think about our understanding of puberty, where we're going from, you know, a child and growing into to a reproductive, you know, being and a sexual being, then menopause is is as big of a transition as as puberty is. And I think it needs to be given the same respect and and space as well. And so when we think about the effects of menopause, I mean, they are vast. Many women, even before menopause, so the technical definition of menopause or the medical definition is when you've had no period for a year. So no menstrual bleeding for a year. So after a year, then you can say, okay, I'm in menopause. But for many women, there are years of what we call perimenopause. So where the hormones start to change and we can feel that and notice that in in several different ways. So oftentimes this will start um, in the early to mid forties where we notice, you know, our fat distribution changes a little bit. Maybe instead of being on our thighs and our bottom, it's more around our midsection. We notice maybe that we have some changes in mood symptoms, maybe more anxiety, maybe some even even more depressive symptoms. We might trouble have trouble sleeping, some irritability with our partnerships. So those are the things that people notice during perimenopause. And then our cycles start to get irregular. So we might have some spotting. Some women go for a few months with no bleeding and then they'll get their cycle back. It can start to be longer cycles. So our body is sort of noticing, hey, something's up here. You know, we're about to we're about to go through this radical, you know, time of life. And then once menopause and, and has actually officially hit, then those symptoms oftentimes will be present for, you know, up to a year, sometimes even many years at a time. And we really have to take those in in addition to the hot flashes that many women experience. And then as we are in menopause longer, we can have vaginal changes when we lose when our estrogen levels and testosterone levels actually fall, the vulva itself or the external genitalia change and the vagina can become drier, which can affect sex negatively. So you can imagine all of these changes that women experience and sometimes often at, at, one, at one time, sort of out of the blue seemingly, that can really throw women into you know, a, a cascade of symptoms that then can affect not only their, their work, their interpersonal relationships, but very clearly their sex life as well. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that uh, some of the symptoms starts few years even before people going through menopause because that's my experience as well that people are telling me I don't necessarily have menopause kind of like physiological as far as like ch- losing my period symptoms but my drive start changing I experience different kind of like a drier kind of at times kind of like a vaginal lubrication there are different things that people are experiencing as they approaching later stages of their life and I'm sure many of our listeners are appreciating that like you sharing with us that these are things that are many people are experiencing. But I, what I also want them to know that these are, at least based on my experience, many of these issues are something they can address. So tell us, I think like one of the common struggle is lose of desire. People say, I just don't want to have sex. And I actually hear it from people that they're telling me like when I was like in my 20s and 30s, I liked having sex, but they, somehow it seems like someone stole my 
desire to have sex. Is that what you see as well? You know, I see that throughout all stages of life. I see women who, you know, definitely have desire issues in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, and definitely after menopause. I think menopause can have a really dramatic effect on desire as our levels of estrogen and testosterone go down as they naturally are supposed to, right? So as we age, the, de- the reason why menopause happens is because our ovaries sort of stop producing these, these hormones that are vital to who we are as sexual beings. And so it's a really common occurrence that as a result of those hormone levels going down, that women will also have an, a change in their sexual desire. And it's important as women and as clinicians that we note, was this decrease in desire, you know, well before menopause and maybe then, then it's related to some other problems or did it happen, you know, around the time or at the time of menopause and we can say that it's directly tied to those androgen levels and that will help guide some treatment. As you mentioned, there are certainly things that women can do to improve desire associated with, you know, just reprioritization issues or also hormonal changes. And um, there's also a medical condition that can lead to low desire called hypoactive sexual desire disorder. So these are all really important things to be aware of and know that there are treatment options for so that you don't have to suffer unnecessarily for years, which is what we unfortunately hear from, from so many women is that they've struggled for years and are kind of at their wits end before they go and get help. And that's just not necessary. What a great point you brought up that you're right, that there is a subgroup of women that they see that they said, like, I didn't even have desires in my 20s and 30s. And back then, it was kind of like psychologically related. I didn't give myself permission to be leaning to sexual experiences. And now I'm around menopause or post-menopause. So perhaps it's too late for me to have sexual, like satisfying sexual experiences now. But tell us, I think, if if that someone struggles is hormonal. Are those hormonal treatments that's out there, are they uh, effective? Yeah, so particularly for perimenopausal and postmenopausal patients, we do have good data for a myriad of hormonal symptoms. So for example, if you have low desire because of you know you're having pain with sex, then your primary problem is 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 sexual pain, right? And we can definitely treat that. There are hormones that can go in the vagina and help to get it back to its younger state. Sometimes that's estrogen, sometimes that's a precursor to estrogen and testosterone. But those are shown to increase vaginal lubrication and comfort with sex. So that can make sex a lot more comfortable and then lead to increased desire, right? Because no one's going to want to do something that's painful by, by any means. And then there are also opportunities, you know, for that age group, perimenopausal and menopausal to replace the testosterone that we often see go down during that time. So that's a, a medication that is used off-label. It is not approved by the FDA for treatment of low sexual desire, but as sex medicine and clinicians, we see it often to be very effective. Um, And it's just, it's all about having a conversation with your particular provider. Is testosterone right for me? We have to monitor for side effects and making sure the dose doesn't get too high. And then have a really educated discussion about, you know, how long do we want to continue this type of therapy? But it is, we do have, you know, really good safety data for at least six months of therapy in the peri and postmenopausal subset of women for testosterone use for low desire. 
Thank you for that information uh, because it's it's been my experience that obviously I'm a psychologist and sex therapist. I'm not a, a prescribing physician, but I hear from my clients that they go on testosterone treatment, as you said, that's an off-label uh, use, and they, they notice a change in their desire. And sometimes what's helpful is like, like experiencing, cultivating a different kind of sexual encounter with your partner. So if you've been having negative, like, and what you think is not good enough sexual experience, experiences with your partner, of course, you would be hesitant to want to have sex. But if you are starting this hormonal treatment and you notice a change in the stance, even that change can help people to kind of long term have a different sexual experiences. And it's also my experience that part of the challenge that people have is at times they say sex is painful and they they kind of shy away about talking about it with their partner and they kind of muscle through it, which is such a kind of painful thing and un- unpleasant experience to have around sex. And of course, your desire will drop because of that. Absolutely. And we hear about that all the time too. women just kind of, you know, quote unquote, grin and bear it, or, you know, just kind of make it through. And I, I'm sure that you and, and I feel very passionately that, you know, sex is meant to be enjoyed by both partners. It's not something that we do for, for our partner, but something that we, you know, engage in for mutual intimacy and pleasure. And so if, if there's anything other than that, anything below that standard, then I would really encourage women to, you know, expand their their beliefs about sex and to, and to really understand that they too deserve pleasure and that there are definitely ways to get you back there. And I agree that sometimes just a short course of medication, especially when we're talking about testosterone, can help women re-enter this positive context of sexuality that we can then carry through through the rest of life. So I, I agree with you on that front for sure. And I also think that even when people didn't have, they didn't prioritize kind of having such good sexual experiences or didn't get help around changing the psychological mindset and addressing the struggles around low desire as something that you can cultivate at any stage of life. I think it's just a matter of problem solving and seeing what's not working for you. So it's my experience that ingredients for having a fulfilling sexual experience is slightly different than like younger when you are in like late teens or early 20s versus where you are in later stages of life. Tell us what are some of the key ingredients that you uh, you see that it lead people having uh, fulfilling sexual lives uh, later in life? You know, my I think the number one key ingredient is communication. And I've just seen this play out so many times where there is, you know, I work with mainly women because I'm, I'm an OBGYN. And so the, you know, women will come to me and say, I have not had, you know, I have not been intimate with my partner in 10 years and we've never talked about it. And then subsequently, you know, a patient will go through a cancer diagnosis and that will change their whole, you know, sexual context and they won't talk about it with their partner. Or for example, changes of menopause where sex all of a sudden becomes painful and they don't talk about it. And I think the biggest key to navigating a healthy sexual relationship, especially in the long-term context, is being able to 
have and renegotiate that sexual sort of communication throughout the phases of life. We're never going to be at a place sexually where we're the same as we were five years ago, 10 years ago. So that key component of communication about what feels good, about, you know, what emotional reservations that you're having, about, you know, what, what you don't necessarily like, or just even, you know, playful sexual communication. That to me is the number one key to success. But I think also in the culture and the community in which we're raised, it's maybe also the hardest piece of this, right? Because just people having the language to talk about these things, people having the courage to bring it up with their partners or with their healthcare providers or with their mental health providers is really challenging. And I think we have to do our part to educate and to model that type of communication. So people have some sort of, you know, context in which to in which to place these conversations. But that to me, communication is the is the key to success in my in my clinical experience. Absolutely. And I think even before that, it's important people know no matter in what age you are, what stage of your life you are, you deserve to have fulfilling sexual experiences. And that is something that would be available to you. Uh, as you said, like the good first step would be, okay, thinking about, I, I want this and I would go one step further and they say, you deserve it. Kind of thinking about, I deserve to have good sexual experiences. And right now, I'm going to be honest with yourself. Like where you are with this right now with the, with this desire piece. And as you mentioned, Dr. Harper is like going and seeing where can I get some information about increasing my libido if that's an issue or if there is I need a different kind of experience with my partner, kind of cultivating, gathering information. And I would imagine your clients really appreciate you because sometimes it can be intimidating for many, at least my female clients that they're saying that they just they don't know how to ask their physician they feel like their appointment is like 15 minutes and they have to kind of address the medical challenges so how can people advocate for themselves you know I couldn't agree with you more and it's really part of my life's work is to get physicians and other members of the healthcare team to be the initiators of this conversation of course we have a long way to go because there are missing pieces to that and the biggest missing piece is education of physicians about these topics but when you think about men's sexual health and how much physicians are educated in that realm, right? And then we look and we say, who's the corollary for women's sexual health? I think most people would expect it to be an OBGYN, but unfortunately that training during residency isn't there um, through no fault of the doctors, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the institutions. And so we have to get that changed. But, you know, in the current context where physicians, only 17% of OBGYNs ask their patients about sexual health, then, you know, the reality is that it's on the patient in order to do so. And so we um, really try to equip patients with, you know, specific issues. So through education, you can learn like, hey, I've got low desire instead of presenting to your physician. And these are very emotionally charged issues. But many times how these patients present is just basically in tears, you know, because it's been building up for so long. They've never talked to anybody about it. And it just feels like this just avalanche of emotions whenever you actually are able to verbalize it for the first time. So with this pre-existing education piece before that visit, you can become empowered with the language to talk about the specific concerns you're having, whether it's low desire, whether it's vaginal dryness, pelvic pain, problems with orgasm, problems with arousal. There's, you know, there's a, there's a myriad, as you know, of experiences that women can, can be having. And so if you can just become armed to your physician and say, succinctly, you know, I've got 
X, Y, or Z, then, then it is on your physician's shoulders to at least connect you with a resource to help. And, and from, from my position, that's a very multidisciplinary opportunity, whether it's a sex medicine doctor, whether it's a sex therapist or a psychologist, whether it's just some educational material or some books to read, the next step, really, the physician, it's the physician's job to really connect patients to that next step so that they can continue this patient's sort of healing journey on their way to, to sexual wellness. Well, I, I think you mentioned several things that were very valuable, and thank you for that. I think first part is kind of being okay as a provider that you you probably might not know some information, but kind of you, you can figure it out. So I think number one question I get from other colleagues that are not sex therapists, they don't ask about sex because they feel like they they don't know enough. And if the clients bring up something that they don't know, they feel like, okay, that, that would kind of question my competency. Then I love that you're saying that like knowing where to get the answer is the key, even when you don't have the information. And you're right that many times physicians and OBGYNs are the first line of kind of like providers that get possibly people go for questions. And uh, what's important, I think, with any kind of like physician interaction is that like, I think it's important important to, as you said, like educate yourself in the right language and be direct. That's always like my husband is a physician too. And that's a conversation we always have. So honey, like please land the plane. (laughs) I feel you need to be direct. And I love that you're saying that like being brief and direct may help you and you're kind of like adopting a language that would facilitate that conversation. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, as a physician, and this is probably true in your field as well, maybe it's, maybe it's not, maybe you're much more at peace with not knowing all the answers, but physicians, you know, we're trained to be, to be um, sort of action oriented and it doesn't feel good, right. To not know the answers, but I think it's a real opportunity. I don't think anyone expects one person to have all the answers to all the problems. And so I think it's an opportunity for people on the healthcare team to say, you know what, I hear you. I can see that this is a really, you know, important issue. And I've heard it from lots of women. I don't know exactly what to do right now, but after you leave, I'm going to try to find a resource for you and I'll email you. You know what I mean? And I think those little steps go so long, go so far in cementing that physician patient relationship that, you know, patients really respect that when you say, I don't know, but I do care. And I'm going to, you know, take the time to figure out the next best step for you. Absolutely. And I think uh, in this day and age, it's easy to get the information. And I think your like your clients, your patient would appreciate it if they think that you're taking time and following up with them. They don't necessarily expect to get the result on the spot, most people, but as long as you are getting back to them, I think that's extremely valuable. And unfortunately, I would say it's rare. So one of the things that I hear a lot is at least even, even, even an ad that we are bombarded with products, with things that promise us that it will increase our libido, specifically for women, specifically for women in later stage of life. So we talked about hormones. Uh, like hormonal treatments, but what what are other uh, ways that people can increase their libido that's more evidence-based and science-based? Absolutely. That, you know, honestly, I think that that is the biggest differentiator that women should be looking for is, you know, something that is rooted in evidence, not something that seems cool in the moment, right? There's so many, like you said,
said, like pop culture sort of um, marketing um, opportunities that are being exploited right now that I think do a real disservice because what happens is women spend $400 on something, they get no result or maybe even an adverse result, and then they throw up their hands. They're set further back than they were at the beginning. So I think it's really important to communicate what are the evidence-based you know, um, opportunities. And for improving desire, particularly education in and of itself can be therapeutic, right? Knowing that most women have orgasms through clitoral stimulation, knowing that it's okay to use lubrication. It doesn't mean anything about you or your partnership or anything like that. Understanding female sexual response, those pieces of education in and of themselves can be therapeutic. Whenever we talk about other evidence-based interventions, actually erotica is an evidence-based intervention for low desire. So women can use erotica to actually kick off that sexual response cycle, increase their arousal, and then increase their desire. And I mean, that's clearly very safe, right? There's no side effects of erotica. And it can really help, you know, as a byproduct, women explore fantasy, women explore role play, all these keys to kind of unlocking maybe their second phase of exploration and sexuality. Other evidence-based interventions are some over-the-counter supplements, actually. There's a couple of supplements. The one um, is Argin Max, and that that has some actually really good data. It's just L-arginine as the active ingredient and has been shown to improve desire in women. So these are some really good tools that women can use without taking hormones, but that also have great data. And, and it's part of the framework that, you know, I think most of us really are proponents of, which is, you know, it's not just one size fits all. It's not just everybody pops a pill and gets better, but it's really this bigger understanding of um, how our bodies work how our brains work. And, you know, if there are medical problems, let's get those addressed. If there are histories of trauma or, you know, sort of bad education about sexuality, let's get those fixed. And this is really exists as a larger framework and such an exciting opportunity for women in the, in the latter half of their lives to really unlock that sexual potential that has always been there, but maybe they're just now sort of taking time to take note of. I'm so glad you mentioned those things. And it's been my experience that people who are investing in themselves and committing to this path of, I want to have fulfilling sexual experiences or I deserve to have these experiences. And they have this holistic approach to it. Sometimes they even have a better sexual experiences that they had early in life. Because you said like sometimes we don't have information about what brings us pleasure. And as you said, no, no fault of our own, never taught us. And then, as you're exploring and you're educating yourself about this and also immersing on this uh, sexual fantasies. And I, I love erotica. I know there are tons of good audio erotica, written materials that can open the doors to part of your sexuality that you didn't necessarily explore before. And also, I think then this could be a good stage of life So because many people have children early on in life and they feel like they have this obligation. But now sometimes we have this uh, freedom in our time that we can navigate and kind of focus our time and energy on cultivating desire and having the sexual experiences that are great and uh, you deserve to have. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. 
Well, and I, I'm glad that you're saying that there are, it seems like there are different approaches. It could be medical approaches, there are supplements, there are psychological approaches. So I, I see the same pattern that you're saying that uh, sometimes people try one thing and God knows if it was an ad from Instagram and they, they, they took it for two weeks and like there was a medication or something and they feel, okay, I gave it a shot and this, this uh, part of my life nibble will change. And it requires oftentimes few of those uh, things that you mentioned, whether it's educational, whether it's uh, kind of physiological approaches, hormonal approaches to change things. So I know that you have a, this wonderful app, Rosie, that gives education to people. So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So when I was sort of making the transition from being a general OBGYN to really becoming more focused on sexual medicine, I you know, learned that all these evidence-based interventions really that we were just talking about. And I was like, man, this seems really cumbersome for OBGYNs to talk about, right, in a really time succinct way. And it seems really intimidating, I think, for women to be like, for their OBGYN to be like, okay, go read erotica. For most women with low desire, that sort of assignment feels a little a little much, right? Because where are they going to get erotica? How are they going to know if it's like, you know, sex positive and female focused and all this stuff? And so I started to become really excited about having, having an option for women where we consolidated all of the evidence-based resources around low desire. And since then, we've really expanded our focus to include all areas of sexual dysfunction, but for women. So they could go to as a destination to sort of explore the education that's necessary, erotica that's tightly tailored to really suit their needs and desires, really deep dives into self-help. Like we just released a self-help class for cancer survivors navigating sexuality. And then also we have a community where women can talk to one another anonymously or not about the issues that they're facing. So Rosie is the name of the company and it's an app that's available in the app store um, and you can download it for free. The free app gives you um, access to all the educational content that's actually curated to where you are in life. So if you're if you're a woman who's experiencing symptoms of menopause and pain with sex, then you'll get content specific to that um, situation in contrast to a woman who is postpartum and is, you know, maybe depressed, then she would get different content. And all that can be tailored during onboarding into the app. So we launched a little bit more than a year ago. And the way that we, you know, told people about us is that we just told physicians and therapists that we existed. And since then, we've had about 2,700 physicians and therapists sign up because really they need a resource for their patients and they need, they want their patients, you know, to, to have evidence-based materials, but they don't have the time and many times the training to offer these to their patients. So we're just trying to extend that, um, you know, value proposition for physicians and other healthcare providers on the team and really get women the information that they need and deserve. So what a great tool because I genuinely believe education is, is something that many people never receive, specifically women and men at times, but definitely women didn't receive when it comes to sexual health. So it's, it's great that you cultivated the resources and you created this app. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. So the app can be downloaded in either app store and you just search R O S Y and it's free to download. 
download. Like I said, there is premium content. So that's a membership of $10 a month for the Library of Erotica and the self-help classes, but the rest of it's totally free. And then they can connect with us on Instagram. Our Instagram is meet underscore Rosie. So M-E-E-T underscore R-O-S-Y. And then my Instagram is Lindsay spelled L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y Harper H-A-R-P-E-R-M-D. And I'm on LinkedIn at the same name as well. So I'd love to connect with everybody who's listening because I'm sure that they are equally as interested as you and I are in furthering these discussions. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad that again, you, you created these resources. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you found our conversation helpful. It's my experience that many women are, and men, but also women are struggling with low desire. And sometimes they feel, okay, like post-menopause, that's a challenge and I will never have the sexual desire that I used to, but it doesn't mean that you will not be able to have healthy sexual life. So if you are struggling, it's completely okay and doesn't mean you're broken. You just haven't found the right strategy yet. If you are looking for a sex therapy, you can check out my website and I have some limited openings. Thank you so much for checking out my show and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.com sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.